lay some basic groundwork for what uh, the Bible says about uh, addiction. Uh, first and foremost, as we jump into this, I don't, I don't think I need to give you any grand statistics uh, for why this is such an important issue. We have all, I don't, I don't know that there are any in our church family who, who haven't experienced close family or friends that have been lost due to the problem of addiction. We all recognize that in a real way, this is a significant issue. Uh, even recently hearing from a professional counselor who said that uh, as as he gives m much of his time to counseling those in addiction, that he's actually had to be careful of even like scheduling the fact that he has more funerals to attend as a counselor of those who are in addiction. He, he's, he's had to rearrange his life. Why? Because um, there are so many fatalities related to this problem. And so, folks, we recognize that this is an issue. Addiction breaks and takes life. It's the, it's the nature of addiction. We all feel it. We all grieve it. We all know something of it. And so we don't need to belabor the importance of this particular issue. Now, the focus of this series, we're going to try to get to what the Bible says about addiction. And, and, and that's going to be difficult because it it's going to get at us in some ways that are, are uncomfortable. Um, and, and part of the reason for that is that our world has already said a lot about addiction, all right? So, you know, we have psychology and we have the rooms who inform so much of how we understand, particularly substance abuse and whatnot, and, and scripture will align with that, and at times scripture will challenge some of those things. So this will be not just an easy thing at times to listen to. So our world has said so much about addiction already. Many of us, by way of our own personal experience in addiction, have already determined the meaning of addiction. And, and so even by, by way of interpreting our own experiences, the, the Bible may align with some of that, but it may challenge some of that. So we have to be ready for the Bible to challenge. And finally, Jumping into the topic of addiction can, uh, can be it can be difficult to hear, listen into, because so much shame, so much uh, suffering surrounds the topic of addiction. So when the Bible speaks in ways that are kind of pointed, it can almost feel as like an, an undue extra burden upon the suffering that one already faces. So we need to be aware of these things, because here, here's the point. If we get to what the Bible says about addiction, it's going to cut us in some ways, but it cuts us to cure us. That's the way Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor, said it, that the Bible cuts us to cure us. Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible is like a double-edged sword that challenges our thoughts and cuts into the intentions and desires of our hearts. It lays our hearts bare, but it does all of that so it can bring the cure of God's love to bear upon us. So there are going to be times, even in the first point here as we jump into things, that we'll recognize that, man, it, it, it is hard to hear at times what the Bible has to say about addiction. But know this, 
if it's hard to hear, it, it, it will also be met with the love of God because it's the love of God that leads us to repentance, that leads us to change. And so just expect the Bible's view of addiction will cut us, but it will cut us to cure us. So let's jump into it uh, this morning, just providing a basic definition for what addiction is. And immediately we are jumping into what is controversial. So just be ready. Addiction could be defined biblically as this, a sin pattern that seems to have power over us such that we cannot stop doing it. As simple as that. Addiction could also be stated this way, that it is self-selected bondage or voluntary enslavement is what is often uh, utilized. So addiction is a sin pattern that seems to have power over us such that we cannot stop doing it. So let's break that down uh, just briefly. Addiction is a sin. There you go. There's, there's contra a controversial statement right there. And even for those of you who, who have gone through the hardships of addiction, the suffering, the shame that surrounds addiction, to hear that addiction is sin just feels like another weight being placed upon us. But remember, we have to remember that where, where the Bible will cut us, it cuts us to cure us. We have to get down to the, to the issues at hand. We can't just stay kind of on the periphery of symptoms and triggers and all those behavioral modification, all the things external to us. We need to get down to the core issues at hand. And the Bible would say that the issue at hand is, is sin. Now, now, the question then becomes, well, okay, like, explain a little bit of sin, because oftentimes we think of sin, and it's all about these religious missteps, and, and, and we get so much of the wrong idea of what sin actually is. Well, the Bible would simply present sin as this, man's attempt to find satisfaction in anything less than God. Sin is seeking, more explicitly, to find our sense of meaning, our sense of worth, our sense of security in this life, in anything less than God. Your sin is not just, you know, a, a bunch of like little religious moral missteps. When we're talking about sin, it gets down to the core of how we view ourselves, our sense of significance. It gets down to the, to, to the idea of why I'm here and why I believe that this life here exists. It's the meaning of life. It, it, it's also then, what, what is it that's going to provide me true rest and security in this life? When we run to anything less than God to satisfy those particular heart needs, Scripture would refer to that as, as sin. And so this is the idea of, of sin. And, and, and we know then in some sense that, that sin is something that, that becomes for us a pattern of, of life. That when we give ourselves to sin, it, it, it bids us to come again. When we take 
uh, something and say, okay, this is going to be my significance or this is going to be my comfort and this is going to be my escape. It bids us, when we have found something of, uh, of, the, of the benefit of those things, it bids us to come back again, but it never truly satisfies us. Jesus will say it this way. When it comes to the issue and the problem of sin, he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, there's a lot being said right there. Jesus says that in John chapter 8, verse 34. Again, sin is the pursuit of meaning, worth, and security, but what it does is as we pursue those things, those things less than God, it inevitably becomes an enslavement. It becomes bondage to us. Sin is by nature something that will enslave us. It'll promise us certain things, and as we go after those things, it just isn't something that we take once. It bids us to come again, and it enslaves us. So, Sin is, in, uh, in and of itself, by nature, uh, something that will enslave us. The way that works out in our lives is that we will develop patterns, or, or we like to call like life liturgies, patterns of life that center around that particular sin, because that particular sin gave us something of a payoff, and so we're going back, and we're creating patterns now around that particular sin, but that's part of the bondage that sin uh, creates in our lives. And Scripture will give us some pretty graphic uh, illustrations of these patterns that we develop in our life, this, this enslavement that takes place in our life. For instance, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, it says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so the fool returns to his folly. It's, it's almost, we, we know that particular sin gives a sudden payoff, but it leaves us tasteless. It leaves us with our head on the floor once again, and, and yet what do we do? We find ourselves going right back to it. We're creating these life patterns around these particular sins that promise us something, but never truly actually produce life change in us or truly satisfy our, our hearts. Another illustration is from Proverbs chapter 23. It's referring specifically to alcoholism. It says this, it says, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of the mast. You will say, they struck me but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Although it gave me something of, of, of relief in the moment, it brought about chaos, and yet although it brings about chaos, what am I saying? Well, when, when's the next time I'm going to go do this? We create life patterns around these sins. And so scripture would refer to this as simply like self-selected bondage. We are in bondage to sin. This is the reality, according to scripture, 
of addiction. It's a sin pattern that seems to have power over us such that we cannot stop doing it. It's a self-selected bondage. But Scripture gives more detail here. Like, it it just doesn't drop that bomb on us. There's more nuances to how God has wired us that we need to explore. And, and, And so what Scripture does is it presents us with the heart of addiction. Scripture says that all of life flows from the heart. Uh, For instance, Proverbs chapter 4 says this, it says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because from the heart flows the springs of of life. And and when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not speaking, obviously, of, of the organ in your chest. Rather, the idea of the heart refers to kind of the seat or the core of our desires. It's, it's at the, it's the epicenter of, of, the, of what your truest and most authentic beliefs uh, where it would be. It's where our choices and actions actually begin. It begins from this place that Scripture calls the heart, and it's from the heart then that all the activities of life flow from, from there. Uh, every action and every choice flows from the heart. It's why Jesus would say, for instance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's that from the heart will flow forth all the choices and actions of our life. Our heart really is going to be revealed in all the activity of our life. But Scripture says something quite interesting about the heart of man. Scripture will say that the heart of man is is desperately sick, Jeremiah 17, right? Such that Jesus would say, even in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus would say that it's out of the heart. The heart is so sick. It's the heart that produces evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, want, slander, pride, foolishness. It's simply to say this, that the The problem of man is a problem of his heart. The problem of addiction, we could say, is a problem of of the heart. Before just looking at all the externals and the symptoms and the triggers and whatnot, we have to see where the Bible takes us. It takes us to the heart of man and says the heart of man, that's where the problem lies. The problem of addiction is a problem of the heart. But there's a nuance to how Scripture then explains the activity of the heart or how it's wired. Scripture describes the heart and this this spring of life by way of worship. The heart is constantly, constantly desiring, constantly making value judgments on what or will not satisfy us. And Scripture will refer to that dynamic as worship. Uh, Even in in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, that familiar text, it says, Man exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And what did that look like? He worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. In other words, the problem of the heart is a problem of worship. 
Man worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. The problem of humanity is a problem of the heart, and the problem of the heart is a problem of worship. At heart, we all have a worship disorder. Our hearts believed the lie, and we worship the creation. What does that mean? That means that we look to everything horizontally to satisfy in us what only God was intended to satisfy. When it comes to our sense of significance in this world, when it comes to our our sense of worth in this world, when it comes to our security in this world, nothing else can satisfy. We weren't made in a way in which all other things horizontally would satisfy us, we were made so that the one infinite God would satisfy our hearts, could determine our significance and worth and security in this life. You see, what we've done, humanity has done, is we've actually turned from God and sought to worship creation rather than the Creator. Herein, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We've chosen the lie that creation, the things in this life, can satisfy the inner longings of our heart. We think that the things out there can meet the need in here. Now, what does Scripture call God's substitutes? If we're looking to the creation and, and we're worshiping creation. Those are God's substitutes. And what does Scripture call these God's substitutes out here that we think will satisfy our, our heart's longings in here? Well, what does Scripture call it but, but idols? Idols in Scripture are not just like these kind of ancient, primitive hunks of wood or metal that are shaped into some sort of figure. Even in Ezekiel chapter 14, Old Testament stuff, God will rebuke religious leaders. Why? Because they've taken idols into their heart. Now, it's obviously that they're not just taking kind of these hunks of wood and metal into their heart, but their hearts are wired for worship, and what they've done is sought to worship things and bring them into their heart. It's their heart's longing. They've set up idols in their heart to satisfy the very longings of of their heart. You know, it's the the familiar uh, quote from the old reformer, you know, John Calvin, where he says that the nature of man, the nature of the heart is a perpetual forge, or more modern day wording is a perpetual factory of idols. Our hearts are constantly yearning for things horizontally in creation that might satisfy the very deep needs of our heart, our needs for meaning, our needs for worth, our needs for uh, security in this life. And at the same time, think about the dynamic of our life. It's not only that our hearts have this worship disorder that we're trying to gain the things in this life to satisfy the needs of our heart, but it's also that the world is saying, hey, look at these things. They can satisfy you. So now the world is putting on this agenda before us, putting all these promises before us that all these other things will satisfy. Relationships are going to satisfy. Having the nice car and the nice house and having the fat bank and all these things will satisfy you. And when we finally come to the fact that those things don't satisfy, then what do we do? We run to things for escape. 
So now enter in pornography and enter in uh, the substances. I just want relief from, from the reality that this life just isn't satisfying my deepest heart's need. And those things become addictive nonetheless, right? Then our lives fall into those life liturgies, those patterns, where now we have to go to those things because they've given us some sort of escape, they've given us some sort of payoff, and so where else do we have to go? Well, we go back, like a dog returning to its vomit, where we set life patterns, we give our time, we give our mental capacity. When you're addicted to things, don't you know, man, your mind is right. You wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that you're thinking about? That's an act of worship, by the way. The thing that you set your mind upon, the things that you set your heart upon, the things that you sacrifice yourself for. This is all talk of worship. And so, folks, when it comes down to it, we all, we all, there's no exceptions here. There's no one within uh, the biblical framework that that could say, well, I'm, I'm not an addict. We're all addicts. We all have a heart problem, and the problem of the heart is a worship problem. We are individuals wired to seek to satisfy our heart's longings with everything that the world would provide, and we set up life patterns than to pursue those things. So this, we would say, is the heart of addiction. At the core, it's a heart problem that is ultimately a worship problem. Now finally, uh, what's the hope? Right? If this is, if this is the, the problem, really, that Scripture provides, saying, hey, hey here, here are the ways in which you're, you're broken, uh, what, what is the hope? What, what, what is the, the cure here? How, how, how do we become individuals who are, who, who are saved from this, this bondage, who are redeemed from this, this bondage? What is the hope? How do we get ourselves out of addiction? Well, if addiction is a heart problem, then we need a heart change. At the very core of everything, we need a heart change. I As an addict, I need something or someone powerful enough to overhaul the very nature of my heart. You see, biblically, just to to say it bluntly, sobriety is not the goal. When it comes to addiction, recovery is not the ultimate goal. Behavior modification is, is not the goal. You see, the fact of the matter is we can arrange our hearts to to worship kind of lesser destructive idols. And so we're not just kind of exchanging one idol for another idol. For instance, you know, the the story of a a particular woman who uh, was in abusive relationship after abusive relationship. And she, she would suffer and suffer and suffer, and she would finally get the courage to move away, but that would only end up in a new relationship, and she, she created this cycle for herself. She, she was longing for love. She was longing to be affirmed. And so she went to a particular counselor, and the counselor said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to go just get a good education and, and, and then like jump into the workplace and make something of yourself. Like, in someone, instead of someone else being your affirmation, go establish it yourself. But she came to recognize that she was exchanging one idol for another idol. 
right? And, 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 and that in and of itself, well, then, then she would become a workaholic, and then it would be the affirmation of her coworkers that she would have to live up to and live for. And she said, that, that's bondage itself. I want to be free from all of this. See, when it comes down to it biblically, uh, the goal is not just to switch out idols. It's not just to come to a place of sobriety. Sobriety is not the goal. Recovery is not the ultimate goal. Just having our behavior modified is not the ultimate goal. Those things are good, but they're not the ultimate goal because at core, what we need is a heart change. I need my desires actually changed. I need my heart to be made uh, alive. And so when it comes down to it, what Scripture then provides for us, it's an Old Testament promise that God holds out to His people. It's from Ezekiel 36, verse 26. It says this. It says, I will give you a new heart. God's intention is to overhaul your heart. That's what He wants to do. That's where change begins. It begins with a new heart. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone. I will remove the heart that's dead. I will remove the heart that can only uh, see that creation would satisfy the longings of of your heart. Uh, he, He says that he's actually going to undo this heart of stone that has exchanged truth for a lie. And he's going to give us a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to him. And he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statue. I'm actually going to give you the empowerment to now change. And and, and he says that uh, I'm going to cause you to be careful to obey my rules. And another wonderful promise that goes along with this, and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. That when it comes down to true change, what God says is it begins with a heart change. And that heart needs to be made alive to God. And and so this is the very kind of language in which we get the ideas of being born again. It's what we would refer to as regeneration. It's that God would show up on the doorstep of our hearts and make our hearts New. The question was, how does that, how, how do I get a new heart? How do I get a heart that is actually alive to God, that can actually go vertical? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 says, it reminds us of our condition that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It reminds us that we had this, this stony heart, that we were spiritually dead. But it says in verse 4, and it's glorious, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins. Like, know know this, that that even in in all of your running, in all your addiction, in all the problems, in all the chaos, in all the suffering, in all the shame, God is demonstrating his love to you. He doesn't talk about sin and he doesn't talk about the problem of our heart without meeting us with incredible love. God is coming after you to show his goodness and his love to you. And one of the ways, one of the primary ways that he shows us his love is as Ephesians chapter 2 continues, that he makes us alive together with Christ. 
It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Feel the freedom there. Much of religiosity would say, oh, if you struggle with addiction, well, now here's this long road of, of endless change, right, that needs to, be, needs to happen in your life before God will actually even receive you. And that's not what the text is saying. It's saying that it's a gift of God. You don't have to clean yourself out. Why? He's the one who wants to clean you up. He wants to clean you of all your uncleannesses. He wants to change your heart. He wants to give you the enablement to go vertical, so to speak. That your worship, that your heart's longings would be set vertical, not horizontal. That you wouldn't buy into the lie, but you could align your heart with truth. That your heart would know Him. Folks, what God gives to us, what He provides us in Jesus, is a heart overhaul. He wants to bring change and transformation to our hearts. Some of the wording that Scripture would use is 2 Corinthians 5, where it says we've become a new creation in Christ. He's given us, in other words, a new heart, which begins the, the work then of like giving us new desires, desires for Him, ultimately. And, and, and now, if, if, if the heart has been made new, where we can go vertical with God, where we can actually go to God for all the deep needs that our heart longs for, then it can also be true that our, our hearts can be set in correct worship, that we can actually worship the one who can truly satisfy the deep needs of our hearts and our lives. This is where, folks, true relationship with God begins. It begins with a heart overhaul. This is the beginning, if you will, of seeing the bondage of addiction broken. It's God's free gift to us, where we, by way of Scripture's language, are saved, where we come into relationship with Him, where our hearts now have been redeemed, have been changed. This is where the breaking of addiction begins. But the fact of the matter is that the patterns and desires of the old way of life, my goodness, they have gone deep within us, haven't they? Um, it, it, it's like the fountain of our old heart has cut out all these kind of deep caverns in our lives. We are so used to those old patterns, to those old life liturgies, to those old ways, if you will, of worship. The things you set your mind upon, the things that you would give yourself to and sacrifice to gain. Those patterns, that worship runs deep within us. So what do we do about that? How, how, how is it that we not only see our hearts change, but now kind of the life and the rhythms of life? How do we change those kind of compulsive ways? How do we change those patterns, those deep patterns that we've established in our lives? Well, the fact of the matter is what Scripture would say is that we've worshipped our way into our addictions, and the way out of our addictions is therefore worship. We've worshipped our way in, and now it's to worship our way out. And we will look at this in, in, in more detail in the weeks to come. But just to kind of give you an idea, folks, we are to set our hearts and, and pattern our lives to do exactly what 2 
Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, it says, grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is never stop looking to Him. Never stop gathering to worship Him. Never take your eyes off of Him. It, if you will, it's to fight fire with fire, worship with worship, glory with glory, right? And you will find in that that there is no bondage that He can't break. He is the hope for every addiction. Folks, while, while our heart may be changed, there is now a journey of seeing the old patterns of life undone, the old worship of life undone by establishing new patterns of worship unto Christ. This is how the, the kind of you know, addiction is, is, has its tentacles all around us. It's all controlling. It's all consuming. But to see that broken is first a heart that is changed by way of the Holy Spirit, by way of faith in Jesus Christ. But then it's about this journey, not about perfection. It's simply about direction. It's simply about redirecting the flow of the heart, if you will. And how do we do that? Again, we've worshipped our way into our addiction, and now the change of heart comes by worshipping our way out, establishing new patterns establishing new life rhythms, getting into community with others who can point us to Jesus, getting up in the morning instead of thinking about the, the substance or thinking about the thing that oftentimes we, we've gone to to satisfy our heart's longings. It's to say, I, I need Jesus. As the, as the sun rises, I need my heart. I need my eyes set on Jesus. Folks, you will come to recognize that he, only, he not only changes our hearts, but then over time brings transformation to our very lives. He is the one who breaks the bondage of addiction. So in summary, again, this is just kind of laying some basic groundwork for what scripture would say about addiction. Uh, so in summary, the problem of addiction is the problem of, a, of the heart. And the problem of the heart is a problem of worship. And there's only one who can overhaul our heart, namely Jesus. And as we worshiped our way into addiction, it's ever so vital that we would worship our way out, developing new life patterns that point our attention to Jesus, the one who alone can give us true life, who can give us true meaning, worth, and security. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I, I want to pray specifically um, for those who may be listening in who uh, maybe you say, yeah, I've never had that heart change. Maybe you say, yeah, I, I can relate to some of the life pattern stuff and just the, the, the feeling of bondage, the feeling of burden, the feeling of just hopelessness and seeing anything change. Maybe you, you, you can... Maybe you can map on to the fact that, yeah, man, I've, I've tried just kind of like exchanging idols in my own heart and life. I've, I've, I've gone to lesser destructive idols, but at the same time, I'm no, no more satisfied in heart. I still feel as though my heart is, is, is tasteless, dead. So I want to I pray specifically 
for you who, who may say, man, I need that heart transformation. I need whatever that is where the heart goes from being a stone to being fleshly. So I want to pray for you specifically. In simple terms, it's a prayer that you would, you would be born again, that you would come to faith in Jesus, the one who alone can break our bondage. But I also want to pray for those in this season who, um, you know, you, 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 you're kind of, you've been pulled away from a lot of those life rhythms that really have served you in pointing your focus to Jesus. And so the temptations surround you all the more. Whether that temptation is pornography or whether that temptation is, is substance or whether that uh, temptation involves relationship or whatever it might be, um, I, I want to pray specifically for you that while some of these life patterns have been jostled about uh, a bit during this season where, where we don't have necessarily the, the accountability to keep our eyes upon Jesus, just want to pray for his sustaining grace in your situations even right now. So let's pray together. Father, uh, we, we come to you, and even right now, for those who, who are saying, I need this Jesus, I, I've tried everything else. I think of the, the woman with the issue of blood who had spent years and years going to doctors and trying to figure out her problem and just never figured out her problem. Years and years of searching and looking and trying to find a solution to her own problem. And all that it took was a touch from your very garment. So, so Jesus, even right now for the hearts that say, man, I need this heart change. If, if, if something can change the depths of me and, and overhaul my heart to bring about something of peace and stability, that, that's what I need. Jesus, right now we would pray that um, you, you would do a redeeming work in their hearts and lives. I pray that right now you'd give, grant the grace of redemption for them. And if this is you, I pray that even right now you'd, you'd just kind of stick your hand out to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I need a touch from you. I, I need you to come into my heart and life to save me from my sin, to save me from my brokenness, to set me new from the deepest part of who I am. So he is there for you. He is there for you. He is there to save you even now. Today could be the day of salvation for you. So God, I ask your blessing upon those individuals. God, we know you will have them. You don't call us to clean ourselves up, no. You are the one who, who takes away all our uncleannesses. Thank you that you receive us as we are. We don't have to dress ourselves up. We don't have to hide our problems. We don't have to hide our shame and our brokenness. You say, bring it all. Say, bring it all so that I can make you new. So Jesus, may your redeeming grace be known even right now. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would regenerate hearts, overhaul the hearts even right now. And Lord, we know that as we come to faith in you and you change our hearts, there's a journey then that ensues, that a relationship begins where new life patterns are established. God, thank you for your very, the many means of grace that you supply to us that, that stirs our heart for worship, that keeps our eyes upon Jesus, that keeps us 
growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And so, Lord, thank you for community. Thank you for your word. Thank you for prayer. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your many promises that you would grant to us. Thank you for your many means of grace to us. And so even during this season where a lot of that has been kind of put on hold or frustrated in some ways, God, I ask for your enduring grace to be upon those who are struggling in this season, who find the temptations are raging all the more and perhaps have, have, have relapsed, perhaps have, have, have gone back to the, to the old gods, to the, to the God substitutes who really cannot satisfy. Jesus, I pray that worship would arise uh, in due battle against these temptations. And, and, and even that worship would arise in the face of having fallen, that worship would be the way in which we stand again, that we stand upon your grace, that we stand upon your forgiveness, that we stand upon the fact that you have made us clean. Even when we fall again, even when we stain ourselves again, even when we incur shame and guilt seemingly again, Jesus, thank you that you don't look upon us seeing those sins, but you say once again, you declare over us, be clean, be clean, be clean. We stand in your righteousness, a righteousness that we could never ultimately tarnish. You give us that perfect righteousness. You cover us from the shame that we've inflicted upon ourselves and that others have inflicted upon us. Jesus, thank you for your purity. Thank you for your cleanness. Thank you for your righteousness that you robe us with. You clothe us with your purity. So Lord, for those who are struggling, may they know something of your purity. Let worship be their standing. Would they fight? Would they fight through worship to get their gaze back on you? Would you protect their hearts that they would not, that they would not be shameful looking to you, but they would look to you in confidence? God, expose the, eye, the lies of the enemy. He would say, oh, you're, you're not worthy. He doesn't want you anymore. You've fallen too many times. Oh, Jesus, we pray, expose those lies and may the truth of your love be known. That you, you will leave the 99 to come after the one. That your, your love is relentless and reckless. You come after us. Never-ending, kind of just unguarded love get us, to get us, to pick us up in our problems, to pick us up in our pain, to come alongside of us in our shame, and to declare once again, you are mine. And because you are mine, you are pure. Jesus, tend to the hearts, tend to these hearts, we pray. God, I pray for us even here now, for those who have served this morning. God, I pray your just unique blessing as well. Thank you that we can come to you with our weaknesses. <laughs> you know it all.
you know it all, and you find us out again and again and again and again. You just never stop coming after us in your love. You are one worthy of our worship. So God, even for us here, bless the ones who've, who've served so well. Guard our hearts. doesn't matter if we're a, a pastor or someone who's newly come to faith. We're all, we all are just one thought away, one thought away from, from a long, difficult road of addiction and chaos. But God, thank you that with you there is, there is love, never-ending, never-stopping forever relentless love upon those who are yours. So God, guard us. Guard us from ourselves, we pray. Holy Spirit, enable fresh new worship to resound to Christ. Give us eyes afresh to see his glory, his beauty, that it might change us and keep us, keep us bound to him. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. We ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. This song we're about to sing right out of the words of Psalm 34. I love how, as we just heard about the concept of we worshiped our way into sin, now we worship our way out. Uh, this is God's process. <laughs> it's a redemptive process. And even these words in this ancient psalm, Magnify the Lord with me. Come exalt his name alone. <laughs> no, together. Glorify the Lord. Come exalt his name. Know that worshiping your way out is not a solitary thing. Let's join voices together.
So we're going to do something a little different. Um, usually we end the service by way of benediction. Um, so often what we see in scripture is that benedictions are sometimes sung. And, and sometimes even sung, if you will, pro prophetically over folks. Um, so even when it comes to the benediction that's typically done from like Numbers chapter 6, the, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, the, that, that is actually utilized oftentimes as a, as a song that's, that's sung and declared over the, the listener, right? As a way in which to bless uh, God's people. And so what we want to do, this is a newer song, so you may not be familiar with it. It's called... Uh, from graves to gardens. And so uh, we just want to have the music team sing this over you, especially if you find yourself in, in the torment of addiction, um, that these truths would be declared over you, that you would know that, that, that Jesus is the one who can turn graves into gardens. He's the one who can... Uh, turn bones into armies, right? He, he's the one who can. He's the one who can alone accomplish it and can do it for you. It may be, it may be an up and down road, so don't get the idea that, oh, he's just going to bring me into some perfect place and, and of, of triumph. No, he, he leads us into understanding what triumph is and looks like over time and therein he, he he tends to our hearts he teaches us how to trust in him at every turn of life he doesn't just kind of hit us with a wand and make us different people he, he he would want us to grow in relationship to him he would want us to learn what it is to trust him even when it comes to looking to him as the one who alone can satisfy our deepest longings and satisfy even our deepest hurts. So may this song be a benediction over you. May you find the Lord blessing you even as it's sung over you. Yeah. 
turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. have questions about addictions, if you are struggling in your addictions, if maybe you said, yeah, today I, I, I cried out to Jesus uh, for the first time, uh, let us know. May, maybe that's by way of just putting comments into YouTube or Facebook, or maybe it's emailing us. Let us know if there's any personal decisions that you are making during this season, or, or if it's just kind of the prayer that you may need uh, during this season. We may be apart, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be interceding for one another. But we need to know where need lies in order that we can intercede and see Jesus tend to us during this time. So feel free uh, to make any comments in the comments section or email us personally. Uh, we'd appreciate that. Otherwise, grace and peace. We'll see you later on this week.